our study of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, uh, sorry, 19 through 22, where we'll be today. Let me pray and ask God to uh, be with us in our time and his word this morning. Uh, Father God in heaven, God, I thank you so much uh, for an opportunity to gather again with your people as your people. Uh, Lord, as we have uh, begun our time together in worship through singing, through prayer, through confession, through reading, uh, God, I pray uh, that in those things your Holy Spirit would be uh, dwelling with us uh, because we are, we are your people, we are your temple, um, God, that you would um, be stirring up our hearts, affection, our minds, attention to you. God, that you would be changing us and shaping us uh, to be more and more like your son Jesus uh, by your spirit. So, so God, now I pray that as we open your word, uh, we know that your Holy Spirit inspired this text to be written and has preserved it for our benefit today. So Lord, now we ask that your Holy Spirit would, um, would give us understanding and how to apply this good news to our lives. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's word. Friends, in Christ Jesus you were loved and accepted. And in Christ Jesus we are a part of a family who for God's purposes are for redemption and reconciliation. Uh, this work of God is uh, done by His Spirit uh, through the work of Jesus and is something He does and continues to do in our midst. You see, Jesus changes us from being a one identity into a new identity. Jesus changes us from being an old humanity into a new humanity. And having this uh, change in identity brings with it a change in action. Before we are defined by sin and brokenness, but in Christ we are defined by the gospel, by the good news. You see, Jesus changes us from being strangers into citizens of his kingdom. Jesus changes us from being orphans into sons and daughters of the king. And Jesus changes us from being broken rubble into a temple for the dwelling place of God. And this is good news. As we've seen in the book of Ephesians over the past several months through the first chapter and into the second chapter, we see time and time again this, this change of identity that we have in Christ. In Christ we have this new identity. And as we've gotten into chapter 2, we see uh, that we are being built together as one unified in Christ Jesus, that we have been brought um, from uh, being aliens and strangers into being God's people. And the few verses we're looking at today are, are so rich and, and deep uh, that it's really hard to uh, do it quickly, but we're going to. We're just going to spray a bunch of good news at you and uh, just pray that it sticks and, uh, and you can meditate on it and read on it and discuss it the rest of the week uh, with your missional community. As we've looked uh, a couple verses back in chapter 2, verse 15, 
where we were last week, uh, we see that Jesus, by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity, a new, a new people. And we see that the Apostle Paul explains a little bit in the verses we looked at today what that means. He uses this imagery of a new humanity, the imagery of a city, the imagery of a family, and the imagery of a temple. So we're going to look at those three things today and see how this new humanity, this identity of being citizens in a city and being members of a family and being part of a temple changes everything for us, our motivations for living day-to-day life, the hope we have for future and eternity, and, and the actions you will put into place today in the roles that God has given you to live in your life. So the first thing I want us to see is, is the imagery of being citizens of God's city. We see in verse 19, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. What a powerful statement. You see, sin and brokenness uh, takes us oh, apart from God, apart from God's people. Well, we looked a few verses prior last week, we see that, that, that in the, the, the Jewish culture, to, to be part of God's family, there were certain laws and ordinances and cultural practices you had to do to be accepted into that community as, as God's people, to be with God's people as God's people. But the Apostle Paul writes here that in Christ, uh, Jesus is taking care of those things once and for all, and that our humanity is being God's people, and being with God's people is no longer defined by those things that we do, but rather the things that Christ has done. We are no longer defined as strangers and aliens, but we are brought in to be citizens in God's city. And I love this statement, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Your sin does not define you. Your past does not define you. Uh, your brokenness does not define you. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. It's a pretty powerful statement. When I say the word saint, you may think of St. Patrick or other saints of history, people who have done amazing things and been deemed saints through history. But in Scripture, the word saint means someone who, is, uh, who has been made holy for a holy purpose. It means a holy uh, vessel, so to speak. It's the imagery of being in a temple. In the Old Testament, there were, there were objects in a temple that were used, uh, set apart as holy, to be used for special purposes. And so there were holy objects used for worship in the temple. And that's the language the Apostle Paul uses here to describe those who were in Christ. If you are a citizen of God's city, if you have been rescued by Jesus, you are with the saints. You are equal to those who, are being, who have been set apart for a holy purpose, a special purpose in God's story. We recently watched, um, we're a little late in the game here, it's okay, it's my fault, but we actually watched a movie, uh, The Hunger Games, right? We watched this movie last week. I've not read the book. It's on my list of things to read, but we just watched the movie recently. And if you're familiar with the story, uh, there's a great snapshot of, of the gospel, a little echo of the gospel, right at the beginning of the story uh, when the little young sister is called out to go fight in the Hunger Games for her district and her older sister steps in and says, no, I volunteer to take her place. 
And if you follow the story, read the book, or watch the movie, you see that the older sister, Katniss, with her bow and arrows, uh, kicks some tail. It's a crazy, wild, fun story, representing her district, saving her sister, and, and, and likewise has, has uh, rescued her sister from certain death and been the ultimate citizen for her district. Even more so, Jesus fights for us. To be citizens of God's city, to be part of God's people, Jesus is the ultimate citizen of God's holy city. He is the one who fights on our behalf, takes our place so that we don't have to face death and judgment. He does that for us. And in so doing, makes us part of his kingdom. You see, it's a great thing because being a citizen is in part being accepted being welcomed, being brought into and given certain rights and privileges. So for God to rescue us from being strangers and aliens, he welcomes us into his city as citizens with the saints, being holy people set apart for a holy purpose. We have rights and privileges, things that we cannot attain for ourselves, but things that are given to us by God, by his grace which is what chapter 2 of Ephesians is all about. I don't know if you've ever traveled overseas or if you have a passport and have ever done any traveling, uh, you know that it's, it's really fun to go out and explore different countries. I've been to seven different countries and it's really neat and you have your passport and you walk in and you get to experience culture uh, in a different way. But at the end of the day, this passport that you have says, look, I belong to to this country. My citizenship belongs in the United States. And so you have uh, different rights and privileges that get you uh, passage from where you're visiting back to where you, in a sense, belong. And my uh, mother-in-law is is a citizen, uh, but was not born in the United States. Uh, My mother-in-law, my my wife's mom, is, um, is Finnish. And what's interesting about this is, you know, she, she was born and, and raised in Finland and then moved to Canada, but now is a United States citizen. And, and to become a citizen, she uh, took some citizenship classes and, and, and did some things to, to, you know, in a sense, earn her citizenship as a United States citizen. But interestingly enough, uh, she didn't jettison her Finnish culture. And what I was thinking about this is, you know, anytime my mother-in-law comes to visit, she comes and she'll sing the Itsy Bitsy Spider and finish to my children, which is really cute. Hama Hama Haki. You guys know it, right? No, I don't either. I know the first line. Hama Hama Haki apparently is, that's that. I don't know. So she, do, she doesn't jettison her Finnish culture. She brings her culture with her as a citizen of the United States. My favorite thing she brings is Finnish pancakes. Finnish pancakes are amazing. If you've not had finished pancakes, maybe next time she's in town, she can make finished pancakes for us. And I was thinking about her this week and how this applies scripturally and biblically. You know, Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He secures for us a citizenship in the city of God as citizens with the saints, making us holy, giving us privileges and, and rights that we cannot attain for ourselves. But when we become citizens of God's city, when, when Jesus secures for us to be citizens with the saints, we don't jettison the culture we bring to the table. I think often as Christians we think that's what has to happen, right? We say, well, I belong to Jesus now, so I throw away 
this musical talent that I have, or I throw away this business mindset because I don't, I'm a Christian now, or I, I throw away this awesome artistic influence, or I, I throw away this athletic ability, or I'm great, I'm a great gardener, or I, I work in the fields, or whatever. And, and oftentimes as Christians, we think, I need to abandon everything to follow Jesus. Now in some cases, Jesus will, cause, will, will call you to abandon certain things. But before we rush to burn all of our music or rip down all of our art or neglect the field that God has given you to till, I want us to think about what Scripture is saying here. In verse 19, you were no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. All right, so Jesus secures for us an identity as a citizen having rights and privileges, fighting for us, securing that identity for us. You are fellow citizens with the saints. That means you have been set apart for a holy purpose. God has given you something that you bring into the city of God. As Raya brings hamahamahaki and finished pancakes into the United States. Let me tell you, the, the United States of America is a better country because of my mother-in-law's pancakes. I'm just saying. Likewise, if God has called you to be a citizen of his kingdom, he has given you things that you are bringing to the table that he is using for redemption and reconciliation. God does not call us to be citizens just to have privileges and rights. He calls us to be citizens to bring with us responsibilities because we are with the saints being set apart for a holy purpose. That's why you live a little bit after you decide to follow Jesus. That's why when you get saved, God doesn't suck you up to heaven right away. He has you living here for a while for a purpose. As a musician, walking away from Jesus, your music will look one way, but being a redeemed citizen of God's kingdom, your music will look a different way. Your business as a person not walking with Jesus will be run one way, but as a businessman or businesswoman who has been redeemed by Jesus into the city of God as a citizen, your business will be run differently. As a husband or a wife, your marriage will look one way apart from Jesus, but will look different as a redeemed spouse. Your parenting will look different. Your gardening, your motocross racing, your whatever it is that God has given you, he has given you, even though when you were broken, you used it for other purposes. As a citizen of God's city, as a citizen with the saints, God has given you something to display his redemption and reconciliation uh, in the gospel and has placed you in this culture here and now to be an agent of redemption. You follow? Are you with me? Because as I read this passage and I'm thinking, what is Paul trying to say to the first century church in Ephesus? This was written 2,000 years ago to a city uh, in what's modern-day Turkey, had a thriving economy, a thriving uh, creative arts culture, a thriving um, educational hub. It was extremely diverse religiously and spiritually, lots of pagan uh, culture there. And Paul is writing to this church saying, look, you are no longer defined by that, but you are defined by Christ. However, Christ has put you in Ephesus. 
where business looks like this, but you have business skills, so use those business skills as an agent of change because you've been set apart for a holy purpose. You are a citizen with the saints to be used for holiness in Ephesus in the, in the business community. And so for us, it may be the business community or the uh, medical community or the military community or, or, or uh, maybe you're part of a homeschool co-op or maybe you were part of uh, creative arts culture or uh, little league baseball something. I don't know. So where has God placed you to be an agent of redemption in our culture? What culture do you bring to the table that God has put within you, not so that you can kill it, but so that it can be redeemed to the glory of God? Because I get excited when I think, I I just look around this room, I'm like, man, there are some super talented musicians in this room. There are some very creative artists in this room. There are some amazing couples and families in this room. There are some, some great teachers, medical professionals, and God has given you that culture so that he could redeem it within you and use you as a holy saint for a holy purpose. Right? And the good news is that we do not fight for the status of being a citizen with privileges and rights. Jesus fights for us and gives us those privileges and rights. But with those privileges come responsibilities because we are citizens with the saints set apart for a holy purpose. But secondly, Paul describes this new humanity. We have a new identity in Christ, a new humanity together, described as no longer strangers and aliens, but citizens with the saints. Secondly, Paul uses this imagery of a family. I love this one. In verse 19, he says, Members of the household of God, built on the foundation with the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being a cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. All right, you are members of God's family. You are members of the household of God. So we're no longer strangers and aliens, but we're citizens with rights, privileges, and responsibilities for holy purposes. And we are no longer orphaned, but we are brought into the household of God. This means... That God is your father. That if you're a guy in this room, you're a brother in Christ. If you're a lady, you're a sister in Christ. And this imagery changes everything if you, if you just think about it for a minute to think, in Christ, you are loved and accepted by the God of the universe. That's like cosmic good news that you do not have to do anything to impress the creator of the universe. And he created everything out of nothing. There's nothing we can do to impress him, right? You don't have to impress God because in Christ you were loved and accepted. In Christ you have been adopted by God. I know, statistically speaking, I mean, in this room, some of you have a horrible relationship with your dad. Maybe your dad was absent. Maybe he was abusive. Some of you have a good relationship with your father. But at the end of the day, our relationships with our earthly dads do not define us, but rather our relationship with God, our father. And if you have a broken relationship with your father, I'm sorry. I pray that 
that the God of comfort will comfort you by his spirit. But I also pray that as we are comforted, we look to scripture to say, look, in Christ, you're not a stranger, an alien. You are, you're part of God's family. There's a father who loves you, who accepts you, who fights for you, who provides for you, who protects you, because he loves you. And he's a good father. In the first century, things, family structures looked a little different than our family structures today. It was very common for um, businesses to be multi-generational. It was very common for, um, if your father was a fisherman, you would be a fisherman, and your son would be a fisherman, and your, other, your grandson would be a fisherman, and your uh, sisters would help uh, in the marketplace to sell fish. It was a, a multi-generational uh, family business. If you were a farmer, chances are your dad was a farmer, his dad was a farmer, his dad was a farmer, and you farmed the land that for generations your family has farmed. And... To be members of the household of God, to be brought into God's family means uh, with that in mind that you are connecting with a family lineage that goes back for centuries. That there's God, the Father in heaven, who for generations has called his people out of darkness into light so that he could love them and show them his grace and accept them and, and, and mold them and change them and grow them up into maturity for a holy purpose. And so that when you are accepted by God and loved by God, he's doing that out of his grace, out of his goodness, but also because he's going to use you for holy purposes. So that like for generations, one family would till the same earth for decades and decades and decades. Uh, so too, you put your hand to the plow. And we look around each other, look at each other in this room, and we're like, man, you know, some, we don't know everybody in this room. I mean, there's enough people in here that you probably don't know everybody. And we, we say, so what does, this, what does this mean for us? That This means that if we are going to reflect the image of God our Father, if we are going to be like our daddy and reflect our family, that means if God loves and accepts and cares for, then ought not we to love, care, and accept each other? The first century family that, that Paul is writing to depends heavily on each other. If, if dad is out in the fields tilling, he needs his son to come bring the plow and he needs the, the daughter to come you know, do whatever that they would do. And, and They depended heavily on each other. It was, uh, so do we depend on each other here? It's easy in our American culture to be so individualistic that we, that we miss out on the community that God is calling us to be in because we are part of God's family brothers and sisters in Christ with the same daddy. If you want some good gospel illustrations of family, look at a Duck Dynasty. I mean, first of all, the, the, they're a family of believers, which I think is just awesome. And there's enough beards on that show to... It looks like the redwood forest, man. It's just like beards as far as the eye can see. But I love watching that show because, you know, it's hilarious. I mean, they, they work together. Uh, it's it's a, a multi-generational family business that's doing very well. And, and you've got cousins and brothers. And, and, you know, and there's this great scene at the end of every episode where they all sit down for a meal at the table, you know. I just, I just love that because there'll be times where the, you know, you know, Jace and somebody will be fighting or it'll be another scene where, you know, so, like, you know, they'll sink their dad's boat. They'll do something dumb like, hey, dad, we sunk your boat, you know. Um, but they're family and they stick together. And I love that. 
And at the end of every episode, there's a nice little sit down as they'll, they'll pray and eat food. And, and one of my favorite quotes that just stuck out with me says, all family, no matter how quirky or weird, is a perfect fit. Isn't that the best quote? All family, no matter how quirky or weird, is a perfect fit. So if we are welcome into the household of God, we are members of God's family, God has adopted us. He's adopted you. You're a perfect fit in God's family. There you go. We look around this room and we have a great diverse gathering of people. If you're a believer, you're part of the household of God. You've got medical professionals, you've got punk rockers. No, maybe, maybe there's no punk rockers here. You've got bluegrass guys, you've got beards and clean-shaven folks. You've got family people, you've got... It's amazing. No matter how quirky or weird this is, it's a perfect fit. Because God's adopted us. He's our dad. We're brothers and sisters. There'll be times where we sink each other's crawfish boats. There'll be times where we argue about something, where we're doing business together because God has called us to be set apart for holy purposes, so we're doing gospel business together in this city, and we'll offend each other, and we'll get our feelings hurt, but at the end of the day, we sit down at Daddy's table to feast on his food, and we thank each other for the perfect fit God has called us into. So God redeems us in a new humanity to be citizens with the saints in his city, to be members of his family as brothers and sisters with a loving father who cares for us. And thirdly, I want to say this. He uses imagery of, of a temple. In verse 21, and, um, or verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Wow. <laughs> you are being built together for a dwelling place of God. I love this imagery here. I'm not very good at construction. The best I can do is playing Legos with my son Jude. And, and even that is just disastrous at times. Things don't always end up square and you know, top-heavy. and just It's weird. But this is what I love about this imagery here is that we're citizens of a city, we're members of a family, but we are almost like blocks in a building. That God is building together for a, a temple, for his dwelling. The Apostle Paul says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. I mean, apostles largely uh, refer to the, the New Testament guys who were taking the gospel to all parts of the known world. They wrote the New Testament for our benefit today. Prophets refer to the writers of the Old Testament who were proclaiming God's promises to his people. So you have Old Testament proclamation of what God is up to, and then you have New Testament proclamation and demonstration of what God has done in Christ. So, so the apostle is saying, look, we are being built on the foundation of the Old and New Testament, the, the proclamation of God's goodness to his people and the demonstration of God's goodness to his people. It's the word of God. <laughs> our foundation here at Redemption Church. We, we try to tie everything we do to God's Word, everything we do. I mean, every little policy about why do you do children's ministry this way. We've got chapters and verses for it because God's Word is foundational. The cornerstone, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, this is where I don't know a lot about construction, but I do know 
what I read in a book. <laughs> is that a cornerstone is a vital part of any constru- construction. Right? I mean, you have the foundation which is laid solid, but the cornerstone is what, what keeps that structure square and secure and firm. That if you don't have a stable uh, foundation that doesn't have a, a cornerstone to keep it square, your foundation is going to topple or your structure will topple when it gets to a certain size. It'll be top-heavy and collapse like Jenga. But Scripture tells us that the cornerstone of this building is Jesus, that the apostles and prophets lay the groundwork, the foundation, but Jesus is the cornerstone keeping it square and stable as the structure continues to be built for generations, like, like a family tree growing up or like, uh, like the citizens of a city growing in number. Or what Paul says, like the foundation of a temple being built together so that God will have a dwelling place. And this imagery comes, I mean, just for an example, we got apostles and prophets, so let's use a prophet here to talk about this. Isaiah 28:16. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am the one who was laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. So even one of many examples of Old Testament prophets pointing to Jesus as God's work. First Peter 2, 4-5, Peter was an apostle. He says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. See, I love that the Apostle Peter goes to write this good news, quoting Isaiah, quoting Psalms, laying it all out there that God himself has spoken good news, the prophets and apostles being the foundation, Jesus being the cornerstone for the structure, and that we as believers are are, are blocks in this building being brought together as living stones for the dwelling place of God. That blows my mind. You see, Scripture uses this temple imagery sometimes to refer to your body, as an individual, your body is a temple, is a dwelling place of God, but often it uses this imagery as a corporate gathering as a dwelling place of God, which is the case here. That we together, each one of you is a brick, <laughs> a block, or what Peter says, a living stone. Now a living stone by itself is just a rock on the ground, but living stones brought together, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus as the cornerstone, is being built into a firm, tall, stable, beautiful structure, what Scripture tells us is a temple for God's dwelling. Does that intimidate you at all? Because it does me a little bit. When I look around and say, God, Redemption Church is, is meant to be a, a demonstration of you building us together as a temple so that you could dwell with us. The good news is that the work is built on God and Christ, not you and me. So we are recipients of this building so that God himself will dwell in us and with us together. Verse 21, the whole structure being joined together. There we go, we're together. 
I don't know why I'm doing that. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So friends, it is vital for us if we're going to use this language of, okay, we are citizens, we are, we're having a new humanity, right? The gospel changes us from strangers and aliens to citizens with the saints. The, God change, uh, the gospel takes us from being orphans to being members of God's family. The gospel takes us from being scattered stones to being built together as a dwelling place for God. We have to hold on to the whole verse that says the whole structure being joined together Being a Christian is not a solo sport. Being joined together grows into a holy temple. You're not automatically a holy temple. We're growing into that holy temple, being built up, built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So as we wrap this up, I want us to think about a few applicable points. Because this is all good news, and hopefully your mind is excited, your heart is rejoicing to know that in Christ you were accepted and loved by God. But also there's some practical things we must do in light of this identity change. Right? Living stones are being built together to grow. Right? Families are getting together to grow as families. Citizens bring culture into the new city, and the culture changes and grows and thrives with the culture that's being redeemed. Right? So I want to throw a couple things out your way. Because we looked at being citizens, family, and temple, right? Being citizens, we're not just recipients of rights and privileges, but we, are, we have responsibilities as stewards of culture. So I want you to think, first and foremost, what, what culture has God redeemed you uh, in? I mean, like if you were, if you were, like I said, if you were a musician, not walking with the Lord, and now that Jesus has saved you, what does being a musician look like now? If you were um, you know, a businessman or a medical professional, whatever it may be, how has God redeemed you through your culture and what, where has God placed you uh, to be a person of influence to shape culture? Does that make sense? Because as citizens, we bring culture to the table to shape the culture of the city in which we live. I mean, very, very practically in Augusta, but also uh, just as, as people. So what is it, where has God placed you for influence? If you're in the medical community, technological, manufacturing, what athletic uh, connections do you have? God has placed you there because as a citizen with the saints, it means God has saved you to be a holy, perf- holy person for a holy purpose. Uh, so what is that for you personally? Secondly, family. I want us to assess in our hearts uh, how we respond to God as our Father and how we respond to each other as brothers and sisters. Um, Because if we look at each other not as people that um, hurt your feelings or get in the way of your personal preferences or whatever, if you look at somebody as a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, uh, that'll change how you treat them. That'll change how we treat each other. And... um, you know, when I look at you, I don't look at you as just a room full of people. I look at you as co-heirs to the grace that, that, that Christ has secured for us. And um, so may we look at each other that way and love each other well. That's why Scripture time and time again has you know, what we know as the one another statements, that you're to love one another and serve one another and pray for one another, accept one another, submit to one another, build one another up. Um, 
because that's what Christ would have us do as brothers and sisters. Um, Long beards are optional if we're going to do the Duck Dynasty thing. Thirdly, uh, we're described as being a temple, building one another up. That's why I love our our corporate worship gatherings because this is a a statement. This is a foreshadowing of what's to come. Uh, When we are in eternity together, we will be uh, eternally the dwelling place of God. We will be in God's presence constantly. But when we gather to worship, this is what it's like. We're proclaiming this good news from the word of God, the apostles and the prophets. Right? We're, we're looking to Jesus as our cornerstone. We are, we are begging God's Holy Spirit to come dwell with us to give us a foretaste of what being his holy temple is like. And so when we gather together, we, we worship together, we, we gather in missional communities and DNA groups. Um, and I want to ask you this. How are you building one another up? If each of us are living stones that are being together, joined together, Scripture says, growing into a holy temple, I'm trying to put all the pieces together. God has brought us together as a gathering of living stones, being built together, growing. So what role do you have in the building up of this holy temple? Because all of us bring something to the table, culturally or in family or with skill or something that God has placed us in so that we would be built up as a holy temple, stone by stone, brick by brick. And there's several opportunities for this in worship gatherings, Um, We meet here every Sunday and we have a great need to build into our little pebbles over there. We have Redemption Kids, which uh, have a lot of children over there. And those little stones uh, can use your investment. They really can. Uh, My kids are over there. They would love to get to know you. (laughs) Um, There are needs for setting up and taking down just logistical things, which is so important. Uh, So what I want to ask you to do, we have missional communities, and we're doing a missional community training right now. We would love to get more folks involved with missional communities and DNA groups. Also, you're thinking, hey, man, this, you know, I know a lot of churches have such and such ministry. Why don't we have that? Well, if you have that idea, let us know. Because we would love to resource and equip and, and just build up everybody's great ideas because there are so many ideas. I mean, I get emails and calls constantly. Jeremy, has, has your church ever thought about this ministry? I'm like, yeah, we have. We just don't have anybody to run that ministry. And I'm just waiting for the person to say, well, I had that idea, so I would love to step up and run that ministry. Praise the Lord. Uh, because you are a living stone being used to build up the temple to the holy structure, right? So a couple things in closing. I got kind of practical, which I sometimes don't do that. Sometimes I do, but here we are. Um, on your way out, Uh, not now, don't run, but at the end of the service, uh, what I'd like for you to do for the remaining time of the service, but um, before you leave, I'd like you to check in at the guest services table because uh, we have a sign-up list. Claire is out there, Claire Ritchie, Ben's wife, um, is out there with a a sign-up list of some needs we have uh, for service opportunities where you can practically, as a living stone, be used together to be building up the temple to the dwelling place of God. And God has placed you uh, with skill and opportunity and in a context for you to do that. So, um, and if you, if you don't, don't run up the side doors. If you, if you get intimidated, if you're like, I don't really know where I fit in right now, uh, that's fine. Uh, just stop in and say, hey, Claire, I'd love to help in some area. Not sure where I fit in, but I'll, I'll let you know. So just give it some thought uh, because God has placed each of us together for each other's benefit and for the glory of God. That's why we're all together. 
Uh, you're not here just to be a recipient of grace, but you bring grace to the table, right? It, we all benefit from each other because God has placed us together as his family. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I'll just close with that. Um, God, thank you so much uh, for a time to open your word. I got there's so much good news in these few verses. And God, I thank you that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are citizens with the saints. God, that's great news. Jesus, thank you for fighting for that identity for us on our behalf so that in you, Jesus, the identity of being a citizen in your city is secure. God, that with that comes privileges and responsibilities. So God, give us wisdom uh, with what that looks like. May this good news make us humble and joyful and eager to, um, to be investing in cultural redemption and renewal. God, thank you that in Christ we are adopted sons and daughters. God, that you are our Father who loves us, accepts us. God, as your children, may we take on your characteristics and love and accept each other well. May we care for each other well. Uh, God, in so doing, may, you, um, may your glory be known in this city, in this world, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in this church. And God, thank you that you are building us up into a holy dwelling place, a temple, brick by brick, stone by stone. Thank you that the foundation is the good news that the prophets and apostles have proclaimed through your word for us today. That Jesus is the cornerstone keeping us secure and stable. And may we look to him as the author and perfecter of our faith. But God, practically, may we be involved in each other's lives, honestly, through worship gatherings, missional communities, DNA groups. May we, may we serve well alongside of one another with confidence, with joy, knowing that you have brought us together so that you could dwell with us. God, I pray that these things would happen for your glory, for our joy, and that this good news would ripple out from this place to the nations. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.